Amen. The prophecy of Isaiah, the chapter 43, I want to draw your attention to the verses 2 and 3. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I give Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. During the reign of King Zedekiah, we find the forces of Babylon moving against the city of Jerusalem, cutting it off from the outside world. They gradually, over a period of two and a half years, uh, starved it into submission. Finally burning her walls with fire, they carried her people captive down into Babylon. And coming into this strange city and knowing that their temple had been destroyed, their hearts, as you can imagine, were broken. Sitting down by the rivers of Babylon, they wept and they wept bitterly. The tears flowing down their cheeks, Isaiah, beholding their sorrow, he foretold the bracking of their captivity. However, while prophesying their deliverance, he reminded them that it would not bring their sufferings to an end. They finally breaking free from the tyranny of Babylon. Their path would be beset by raging trials on temptations. There being no bridges over them or tunnels beneath them, they would have to go down into them. However, while not making a way round these rivers, the Lord promised to make a way through them. You see, why the Lord does not banish the trials of life, he does bulldoze a path through them. He makes a way through even the most raging river. Indeed, the Apostle Paul, seeking to uh, reassure the Corinthian believers, he said in 1 Corinthians 10 and the verse 13, but he will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape. And while not taking away the temptation, Paul promised that the Lord would make a way of escape. You see, while we don't know what trials and temptations lie ahead of us, we do know that the Lord will make a way through them. In every trial, every trouble that comes our way, He always provides an escape hatch. Indeed, the writer, taking up his pen, wrote, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things that others cannot do. And while those trials in your life may seem even like the Jordan in flood, yet God is able. God is able to make a way through them. He may not take away the trial. He may not take away the trouble. But he is able to make a way through those afflictions. He is able to bring you safely through. And so I want this morning simply to draw your attention to these encouraging words. I want you to notice firstly that there is here a path to be considered. Being redeemed, they became heirs of tribulation. Passing out into the prairie of life, he warned them that they would be beset on every hand by swirling waters and by burning flames. 
And you notice here concerning these trials that they would be progressive. He said there in verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. You notice here it was not if, but rather it was when thou passest through the waters. Having gone through the waters, they would then have to go through the rivers. And then they would have to go through the flames. And there is in these words an increasing intensity. While the waters are dangerous, yet they do not possess the power and the swiftness of a river. And while the river is able to seize its victim and able to carry him away in its flood, yet unlike the fire, it is unable to consume the body or cause the same excruciating pain. You see, having gone through the waters, they would then have to go through greater and then even greater and greater trials. You see, the trials of life are not merely perpetual, but they are progressive. They become stronger with the passing of time. Indeed, no sooner was Isaac born than the dark clouds began to gather. Ishmael began to mock him. And though Abraham eventually took Ishmael, who represents the flesh, and cast him out, yet the Lord eventually drawing close. We read in Genesis 22, in the verse 2, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Despite having gone through nine major trials, the Lord now commanded him to take his son, my, his beloved son, and, and to offer him up as a sacrifice upon the mountain, taking the dagger in his own hand to plunge it through his beating heart. You see, the more he went on with God, the more he cast off the flesh, the greater the trials that he faced. You see, the stronger the Christian becomes, the stormier the seas that God sends him to seal in. Having overcome the waters, you will then have to overcome the rivers. And having overcome the rivers, then there will be the flames. You go down to the seashore, and the closer you get to the shore, you'll notice that the more numerous and the more dangerous the rocks and the waves become. And so it is in the Christian life. By the closer that we get to heaven's shore, the greater the trials, the greater the conflicts that we face. I know we often don't think that way. We often think that the more a person goes on with the Lord, by the easier their Christian path will eventually become. But you know, having overcome youthful lusts, you then in mid-years will have to face the temptations of materialism. And overcoming the temptations of materialism, then in old age, you'll have to face the fears that are often connected, not with what's beyond death, but going through death itself. You see, the more we go on with God, 
the greater the trials, the greater the conflicts that we will face. And believer, if you have gone through the waters, then prepare because there are rivers, rivers that are strong that will come sweeping into your life. And if you've overcome the rivers, then prepare because there will be the fires, the fires that burn, the fires that often cause much pain. You see, it is not if, but it is when. When thou passest through the rivers and through the trials. And believer, if your life has come at the moment, then I urge you, dig down, dig into the scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Because trials, greater trials, greater conflicts will come your way. Not only were they progressive, but you notice here they were plentiful setting forth their path, he said in verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. As we have already seen, this was not vain repetition. As water differs from the river, so the river differs from the fire. While the waters seek to pull its victim down, the river seeks to sweep him away. And carrying him in its raging torrents, the fire burns and consumes his flesh. You see, each of them attack the body in a different way. And as such, he was reminding them here that the trials would come and coming. They would not always be the same. They would vary. You see, Satan's devices are not only subtle, but they're several. He attacks from many different directions, and he uses many different devices. Indeed, reminding the persecuted believers of this, James said in James chapter 1 and the verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations. The word divers there not only carries the meaning of many, but it also carries the thought of variegated. In other words, he was telling them here that the trials would come, and in coming they would come in many different shapes and shades, and in many different sizes. You see, the trials of life are not only unavoidable, but they are unpredictable. They come in many, many different ways. During the 1982 Falklands War, the Royal Navy's 3,500-ton destroyer, HMS Sheffield, was sunk by a single missile. It was later discovered that the raider had actually picked up the incoming missile and had properly identified it as a French-made Exocet missile. The problem was that the computer on the ship had been programmed to recognize French Exocet missiles as being friendly. And you see, the devil can't overcome you by your foes. He will then seek to overcome you by your friends. Isn't that true? Haven't we down through the years seen many believers led astray not by the devil, 
led astray not by ungodly family members, but led astray by other believers. You see, believer, we need to guard every part of our lives. If the devil cannot overcome you by the eye gate, he will then attack you by the ear gate. And if he can't overcome you by your hearing, by hearing wrong things, he will then seek to snare your feet. You see, our enemy is real. He is a master of cunning and subtlety. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has many different devices. He has many different ways of attacking you. How we need to guard every part of our lives. And we need to guard every part of our lives, every part of every day. Not only were they plentiful, but you notice also here that they were piercing. Although redeemed, he said in that verse 2, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. In ancient times, the fire was used not only to refine precious metals, but also to try or to reveal their true character. Indeed, the Apostle Paul, taking up his pen, writing to the Corinthian believers, he said in 1 Corinthians 3 in the verse 13, the fire shall try every man's work. And as such in describing their trials as fire, he was reminding them that while their trials would not burn them, they would try or they would reveal their true character. You see, the trials of life are sent not to destroy us, but rather they are sent to discover us. They are given to reveal the true character of our lives and of our labors. Indeed, Peter being told that one of the ranks would deny the Savior and that he would deny him with oaths and curses Peter, as you can imagine, was outraged, declaring that he would rather die than deny his Lord. The storms began to blow. And sweeping across his life, we read in John 18, verse 25, they said therefore unto him, art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. And the storm sweeping away, the gloss and glitter in his life, it revealed his true character. He was, in fact, the denier. You see, the trials of life are not just rigorous. They are revealing. They reveal to us our true character. Going to wash your teeth at night, you take off the top of the tube of toothpaste and squeezing it what happens my the toothpaste comes oozing out and you know at times the Lord comes and he puts the pressure upon our lives in order to see what comes oozing out you see child of God you're nothing more and you're nothing less than when you hit your thumb with a hammer It reveals how holy 
or how unholy you are. And maybe you're saying this morning, but why? Why has God sent the trials? Why has God sent the storm sweeping into my life? Sometimes it's to reveal our character. It's to sweep away these foolish notions that we have of our greatness and we have of our strength. And to reveal to us what we really are. Don't despise the trials of life. God has sent them and God has sent them. And he has sent that trial into your life for some reason. But not only is there a path here to be considered, but I want you to notice that there is a presence here to be considered. They going forth, the sand beneath their feet, quickly turned to water, sinking down into the depths of despair, the Lord coming outside, he promised to be with them. And coming alongside, you notice here that he shielded them. The flames raging round them, he said in verse 2, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. When the flame is kindled, it is at its smallest and it is at its weakest. If you were to pass your finger through it, it would do you no real harm. Rather than burning your finger, it would merely singe the hairs or, or blacken it. And as such in promising that the flame would not kindle or the flame would not take hold of them, he was promising them that it would do them no real harm. They wouldn't burn. They wouldn't singe them. You see, in Jesus Christ, the soul is secure. The flames, although at times are daunting, they are never destructive. Indeed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar's image. They were taken and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And although it was heated seven times hotter than it was normally heated, we read in Daniel 3.27, And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power. Nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire had passed on them. And though these flames were so hot that they slew those who were taking them to the furnace, they were unable to singe. Ah, even better than that, they were unable even to leave their smell upon their clothes. You see why the flames of our trials in life may be seven times hotter than the flames of the ungodly man's trials. They are powerless. They can do us no real harm. A skilled surgeon on one occasion was going to perform a delicate operation upon the ear of a patient. If it didn't go right, the patient could lose their hearing forever. And as you can imagine, the patient was a little anxious, anxious not only about the outcome, but anxious about the pain that might be involved. The surgeon drawing alongside, he said, I may hurt you, but I will not injure you. And the trials that lie ahead, 
they may hurt you. They may cause you, like Elijah and Job, to cry out in the depths of agony. But listen, believer, they will never, they will never hurt you, do you real harm. They will never damage your soul. Those trials may sweep away your health. They may sweep away even your wealth. But they can never sweep away your spiritual health. And they can never sweep away your spiritual, my wealth. When the clouds gather in life and the storms begin to blow, don't panic. Don't panic. Remember that God is in control. And as the flame, when it's kindled a little, it can't burn, it can't do serious damage. Remember, that God having you upon his heart, that he'll never allow those flames to hurt you spiritually. But he will work them. He will work them even for your eternal good. He shielded them. Ah, but even more than that, notice he shadowed them. The rivers of affliction bursting their banks, we read in verse 2. When thou passest through the waters... I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Hearing these words, their thoughts no doubt were carried back to their forefathers. They entering into the waters of the Jordan, they not only carried with them the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, but they placed it there in the very midst of the river. And as the Lord had stood with their fathers in the midst of that great river, so he was promising now to be with them. Be with them. When the floods would come, he would be with them. You see, God not only sees our trials, but he stands with us in our trials. He is there even in the deepest afflictions. Mary coming to the tomb, weary, exhausted, her world collapsed around her. We read in John 20 in the verse 14, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And although Mary in the moment of her unbelief did not recognize the Savior, yet he was there to encourage her. And he was there to comfort her. You see, the Lord not only sends his people, but he stands with his people. And more than that, he stays with his people. He shares their afflictions. John Wesley sinking down into the depths of the river of death. He lifted up his voice and he cried out, the best of all, God is with us. And while you in life may not always be aware of God's purpose, may not always see God's plan, and then you in their darkness may lift up your hands in despair and cry out, Why? Why, O oh God, art thou bringing me this way? And you may feel that he's left you. Yet, my friend, if only you put your hand out by faith, you will grasp the nail-pierced hand. The Lord is with us. That's why we have confidence for the future. That's why no matter what a year may bring, 
We can smile in the storm because the Lord, the Lord is in the vessel and he never leave us or forsake us. He shielded them. He shadowed them. Notice also here he sanctified them. Water and fire are not only destructive, but you know when they're placed in the right hands, they refine and they cleanse. You see, the trials of life are sent not merely to prove us, but to improve us. They are sent to loosen our grasp upon this old world and to sanctify us. Child of God, when the storms come and the fires burn, don't despise them, but embrace them, knowing that God is in control. And God is able to take that thing. God is able to use it to sanctify you, to make you more holy, to loosen your grasp upon this world. He's working everything for our good. Not only the path and the presence, but I want you to notice lastly, there is here a promise to be considered. They being despised by the world, we find the Lord now reassuring them of his love. You notice here concerning his love that it is paramount. Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. He was here referring them back to their bondage in the land of Egypt. And freeing them, the Lord not only sent the death angel to smite the firstborn in every Egyptian home, but they coming to the waters of the Red Sea, he swallowed up the armies of Egypt. And when Ethiopia and Seba threatened them, he toppled them. And we see here, for their sake, he wiped out entire nations. You see, Christ's love for his people is paramount. For their spiritual and eternal welfare, he will even sacrifice entire nations. Sometime after the Reformation, Catholic countries in in Europe gathered together. They formed a mighty military alliance. They were going to put an end to Luther and to his colleagues. They were going to destroy those nations. Just as they were about to attack, God took his hand of those nations. And jealousy and envy and bitterness sprang up amongst those nations. And instead of attacking the Protestant nations, they attacked each other. And for the sake of his people, God sacrificed those nations You see, you're precious to God. You're more precious to God than even the nations of the world. If necessary, he will even sacrifice the nations for your eternal good. How often we forget that. We lose sight of that. My friend, we're precious to the Lord. We are that gem that is more priceless than any other jam for you. He not only gave his son to die upon Calvary's cross, but he'll sacrifice everything for your good. 
Not only was his love paramount, but notice his love is possessive. Verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. You notice here that he had not only created and shaped and redeemed them, but he had given to them his name. And by virtue of having created, converted, conformed, and called them, they were not just his, but they were his four times over. You see, Christ's love is a possessive love. And having purchased us, he possesses us. We are his. Oh, believer, you belong to him. Purchased at a great price. Therefore, will you not give yourself to him? Will you not give your time? Give your talents. Give your heart to serve him. His love is also permanent because look at verse 4. Since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Notice he puts it here in the past tense. He had loved them. If you take time and go back, you'll discover that they had not always been faithful. And yet the Lord said that he had loved them. Despite their unfaithfulness, despite their unbelief, he still loved them. You see, though you may have left your first love, Christ has not left his first love for you. He still loves you with all of his heart and all of his being. And here's the encouragement this morning. If you have gone into Bypath Meadow, if you're not walking the way you ought to be walking, the Lord says to you today, I love you. And I've been watching over you. And I've been sending the rivers and I've been sending the flames in order to waken you up, to make you realize what is important. And he longs to draw you back. And if you have wandered into bypath matter, remember he loves you. And I trust today that you might give your heart, your heart afresh to him. Amy Johnson Flint taking up her pen, she wrote, when thou passest through the waters, Deep the waves may be and cold, but Jehovah is our refuge, and his promises are hold. For the Lord himself has said it, he the faithful God and true, when thou comest to the waters, thou shalt not go down the through. And perhaps you're in the river, and perhaps you're discouraged, and perhaps you can see no light. But listen, believer, God is able, God is able to bring you through. He's able to bring you through. And he'll bring you through better. And he'll bring you through brighter. If only, if only you surrender yourself to him. Oh, what a hope we have. My all things are working for our spiritual and eternal good. May God help us to grasp it and hold it to it when the storms are even blasting 
in our lives. We're going to close our service this morning by singing together the words of the hymn 388, the hymn 388, loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. We'll stand and we're singing just